Listener Production. Welcome. This is a real crime interview. I'm Adam Shand. In 25 years of crime reporting, I can't recall a story that has so shaken my confidence in justice. In August 2013, Renee Marsden, a 20-year-old apprentice hairdresser, took her own life at the Gap in Sydney's Watsons Bay. Her remains have never been found. This tragedy followed the breakdown of Renee's 18-month relationship with a person called Braden Spiteri. After Renee's death, her family discovered that Braden did not, in fact, exist. And Renee had never met him in person. He was a creation of Renee's friend Camilla Zidane. The relationship conducted entirely over text message and on social media was a sham. Unbeknownst to Renee, she had been catfished, as the term goes. The New South Wales coroner found this sham had contributed to Renee's death. However, eight years later, no one has been held accountable. That's because under the law, catfishing is only an offence when money is involved. People take on fictitious identities on dating apps and social networks all the time. It's a breach of trust, but not a criminal offence to create an alter ego in order to manipulate others. In Renee's case, the catfishing was so systematic and cruel, her entire world collapsed. And yet the perpetrator has got off scot-free. Renee's parents, Mark and Theresa Marsden, are campaigning for a new law to cover this offence of non-financial catfishing, and they join me now. Good morning, Mark and Theresa. Good morning, Good morning, Adam. Adam. Eight years on, I'm sure this doesn't get any easier. No, it certainly doesn't, Adam. I mean, if anything, it's actually harder. Why? I think knowing um, now a lot more than what we did when it actually happened, like a lot more details... I mean, obviously, we never got the full truth in the end, but we knew we did get to find out a lot more. So that sort of hurts. Well, that's right. I think the key thing for me was getting to the point where you think, okay, this has happened and that there will be a remedy to this. There will be some form of charge flowing out of this. But how does it sit with you that nothing, there's no crime that this is fit to? How does that make you feel? Well, that's why it's worse to some extent, Adam, because after seven years, we were hoping to go to the uh, coroner's court for the hearing and have Camilla uh, tell the truth and give us all some uh, closure on, on what transpired and how, did, how it all happened, but we didn't get that from her. She lied at the hearing and indicated that Renee was complicit in the whole arrangement between the two. So without some form of judgment over this offence... It just feels like you're in limbo, I guess. Yeah, 100%. Well, that's why we can't get over it because Mm. we were hoping to get some indication from Camilla, get the truth, but we didn't get it. So that's why for us it's terribly disappointing because after seven years we don't have Renee nor do we have any of the answers nor do we have the truth. Let's get into this, the actual facts of the story. Who was Camilla Zidane? So Renee met Camilla when she was in Year 9 There was a situation at school where Camilla did try to form a relationship with Renee and, I mean, over the next 12 months it became very obsessive to the point at end of year 10 Renee desperately wanted out 
and got found an apprenticeship and quit school because of it. So, yeah, started off as a friendship, which became quite obsessive quite quick in the picture. Camilla wanted to turn Renee into a lover. Uh, Renee was straight and as evidenced by the fact that she got in a relationship with Angus, her first love. Yeah, yeah. We thought after Angus came on the scene, Camilla would... She did disappear for quite some time, but it took a lot of hard work from Angus, Renee and myself to sort of deter her from stop following Renee. She wouldn't leave Renee alone. She'd go away for a while, but wouldn't be long until she's back on the scene in one form or another. And you must have been thrilled when Angus came on the scene. Delightful young man, soldier, really good guy. I've met him. And Camilla then worked hard to white ant Renee and claim that Angus is cheating on her and she effectively broke up that relationship. Well, she did that through Braden, uh, Adam. Yeah, but she, um, I think that was also part of her plan, Adam, to be honest with you. When you look back now, I think this poor other boy that she got involved with was just a front to make Renee believe that she had changed and she was interested in boys now, not her. I see. So when did you first hear the name Braden Spateri? Oh, it wasn't long after Renee had broken up with Angus. She said to me, Camilla had introduced her to Brayden and he was quite well known to her, Camilla's family, and he was her ex-boyfriend. And at that time I thought, oh, I don't really like this. And, you know, that's really a line you don't cross, Renee. And she said, no, 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 Camilla said it'd be much better suited to her because um, they knew the family. Um, Yeah, we went in the cruise in that January, so it was about... A couple of months after Renee had spoken to us about Brayden, we went on a family cruise and at that point when we came back, Renee told us that Camilla had contacted her that Brayden was in a motorbike accident and his friend was killed at the result of it and he was being charged with manslaughter. So he was in custody. So there was a period of maybe two months before the cruise, Teresa? where there would have been text dialogue between Renee and Brayden, introduced via Camilla. But I guess Renee was putting pressure on Brayden to meet with her, perhaps. We went on the cruise and that's when Brayden had been incarcerated for the uh, motorbike accident and he was being held in custody. So I guess that provided a good reason why Renee wouldn't be able to meet up with him. So she begins this intense relationship with Braden. He seems to know everything about her, which was, I guess, Camilla's way of manipulating her. What sort of feedback were you getting from Renee about the relationship with Braden? When Renee told me that Braden was in jail... Um... Well, our, our initial reaction was that we weren't all that in favour of it. I mean, Teresa, I know, wasn't real happy with the fact that Renee was forming a relationship with somebody supposedly in jail. I think I wasn't really happy with it because, and as I said to Camilla, because she asked me the same question, how could someone try to keep hold of a relationship when, to me that's selfish, she's in jail, she's free, you know, if he comes out and she's available, pursue something, but why hold someone down because you are? And further than that, you soon discovered that Braden had access to Renee's social media credentials. Yeah, Renee and I often spoke through, if it wasn't through message, text message, it was through Messenger. And that's when I first realised that I sent Renee a message and he responded and I didn't like that. 
I thought, well, well, what's going on here? You know, this is not normal. I didn't know how many, like, other accounts that he had um, access to, but I did know the Facebook was definitely one of them. So Camilla Stroke Braden is now seeking to cut Renee away from her loved ones, isolate her in her own home. Is that how it looks in hindsight? Yeah. Yeah, in hindsight, yes, 100%. I think Camilla lacked that relationship in her own home Mm. and she couldn't stand the fact that Renee and I had a very close relationship. I mean, when Renee got that tattoo for Mother's Day for me with my name on her body, Camilla was so determined to have Brayden's name put on. I mean, there's even text messages where Camilla's asked Renee, you know, do you love me more than what you love your mother as Brayden? So the wedge was starting to, and she Mm. often caused a lot of arguments between Renee and I. How was Renee's emotional state during this rollercoaster 18 months relationship? Look, Renee often at night would have this discussion at the table like we always did. Renee would speak a lot about Brayden. You could see the torment in her face when she would try. There was times that she was, I don't know if exhausted is probably the word to say, with the relationship. So every time she tried to remove herself, he was always pulling her back with problems with the family using her emotions, you know, the mother had cancer, the family disowned him. There's always something. So you could see the torment in Renee's face every time, the anguish, wasn't it, Mark? Well, that's right, but not only that, uh, she could control Renee through being Camilla. Um, Give him another chance, Renee, he's not such a bad guy. But Renee had a soft heart, Adam, such a soft person. And anyone that knows Renee would say the same thing. She would always be there. She would have your back. You know, if you needed her, she was just that type of person. And she was trying to please this person who she wanted to be the love of her life. Because Camilla knew Renee so well, she knew what Renee wanted in life. Renee wanted to get married and have kids. So as Braden, you know, Camilla was able to manipulate or or was able to give Renee what she wanted. So he seemed to be the perfect man, understanding, with plenty of insight into uh, Renee. Without doubt, and that's what Renee would have fallen for, is that person that you've been chasing. Camilla would have known exactly uh, what that person would be like. So she was able to give Renee what she wanted to some extent. I mean, let's be honest here, she wanted Renee. As a lover, whatever, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think the only way she could get Renee was to form a fake male persona. That's right. Now, Teresa, when Camilla goes overseas to the US, Renee feels... It's over. What did she tell you? Oh, I can remember that conversation like yesterday. She said to me, Mum, I really need to talk to you about Camilla and I couldn't see what was going on. And she said, look, I finally told her the relationship's over. And I said, well, what's happened? She said, Mum, she's got problems. I said, what do you mean she's got problems? And why would you tell her why she's over in America? And she said, well, she can't hurt me anymore. She said the last straw was that they were driving in the car and Camilla tried to pull the steering wheel out of her hands and try to make her have an accident and she said that was the final straw. She said I've been bashed, my hair pulled, punched, Mm. she said bitten, I've had everything done to me and this was the final straw and I'm done. I'm done for good. And she actually meant it this time. Renee has taken Camilla back. So many times on, you know, the I'm sorry's and everything, but this time she was done. And that was the only time, Adam, she had the courage to say, because she knew Camilla couldn't, 
be at the corner waiting for her, wouldn't turn up here, she couldn't hurt her anymore. So there was that distance between them that she felt safe enough to say, I'm done. Now, Camilla wasn't going to take this lying down. She was. She's now being edged out of the picture and she came back from the US seemingly with a, an agenda to really stick it to Renee this time. Yeah. Well, I guess she would have thought at the end of the day, well, if she's broken the relationship off with me, I'll break, uh, I'll fix her up. I'll conclude the relationship between Braden and Renee. See, that week, Adam, if I can say, that week leading up to the game, our Sunday game, Renee told me, because I asked her, I said, have you the spoken to... Because you were playing, sorry, this is how close Camilla was with your family. She was playing in the soccer team that you play in. Yes. And that Mark coaches. Yeah. She was playing in our same team. Renee would come and just watch on the sideline. So it was like a family affair, you know, everyone was always there. Our kids, our younger kids always came to watch. It was, yeah, one, like one big happy family, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, Camilla would turn up here on a Sunday before the game. Renee would go with her and they'd all go down and watch us play and, and that was it. But that week before the game, Renee said to me, she sent Camilla a text saying that she's sorry that she had to tell her while she was overseas but she was sticking to her words and she apologised. But that's the person Renee was, like, you know, still making apologies for what Camilla was doing. But when I turned up to the game on that Sunday, Camilla wasn't privy to Renee and uh, my conversation. I asked Renee that Sunday morning, are you coming to the game today? And she said, Mum, unless you win the World Cup, I won't come to the game. I'm not coming. But when I turned up to the game, Camilla asked me, where was Renee? And I said to her, oh, she's not coming today. Camilla then said, oh, no, she told me, she, she promised me she was going to come and watch me play. And I knew that was a lie. And that's when Camilla put her end plan into play. What happened next? When we got home from soccer, everything was fine, had dinner, normal. Renee went to work the next morning and Camilla sent Renee a message in the morning saying Brayden needs credit on his phone. And that's the first time she heard from Camilla. And Renee obviously didn't have a credit card, so she had to ask somebody, one of her friends at work, if she could use the credit card to charge up Brayden's phone. And then the barrage of messages started and it was all over by that afternoon. And what were those messages to Renee? From Brayden, it was over. I think I need a break and so do you. And we don't know, like there was about 94 messages, I think we were told, and they were all deleted. And at the same time, you're communicating with Renee that day. What inkling did you have that something might not be right? So when Renee came home, Renee always came home around three o'clock in the afternoon from work. She's walked through the door and I was at the kitchen bench, you know, preparing for dinner and I could see that she was upset. And I asked her what was wrong and she said, no, there's nothing wrong. And she walked up to her room and at that point I received my first text message from Brayden and he said to me, you need to sort your daughter out. She's threatening to kill herself. I was in shock when I saw that message and I walked up to her room and I sat with, she was on, sitting at the edge of her bed and um, we often had a lot of conversations there. I showed her the text message and I said, should I be concerned about this, Renee? What's going on? And she said to me, Mum, you don't have to worry about it. I found out what it's all about. And I said to her, what do you mean by that? And she didn't respond. She just said, don't worry about it. It's over. 
On the evening of the 5th of August 2013, Teresa Marsden received a text message from her daughter Renee. I'm sorry for everything and the pain I will now cause you, Renee wrote. When you need to talk to me, just call my name and I'll be there. Police later established that the message was sent from Watson's Bay near the notorious suicide spot, The Gap. Um, on the night when I got the message and I, I tried to ring Renee and she didn't answer, I didn't want to text Camilla to say, have you heard from Renee? Because I knew they weren't speaking and Renee wouldn't reach out to her. But then I thought, no, well, I've got nothing to lose. I'm desperate. I need to find out where she's gone. And then when Camilla came and picked me up and drove me around that night looking for Renee and took me to Brayden's sister's house, I still at that point had no idea Brayden didn't exist. I just wanted to find Renee and find out who he was. It wasn't until probably the next day that we started. To, no, it wouldn't even been the next no, day, no. Adam. It was a few days later that Camilla started saying things. The three or four days we were just trying to find Renee. Yeah. Um, they hadn't found Renee. They were searching for her. Our sole focus was finding her. Yeah. And yet there you are in the depths of this unimaginable grief and Camilla turns to you and says, but what about Brayden? He's hurting too. Yeah, she yeah. was very defensive of Brayden, right, and tried to get us off the scent, off the track. Yeah, I think that's probably the second day I said to, I was... In my despair, I was so angry because I said to her, she wanted to be very close to me after everything happened. She said she just wanted to stay with me and be with me in case I heard something. And so she spent every day here with us and she sat beside me this particular day and she said, I said, I've handed Braden's phone number over to the police and her demeanour changed straight away. And she goes, why? Why would you do that for? And I said, well, he's got my daughter's blood on his hands and I want to find out who he is. And she said, he's hurting as much as you all are. And that, to me, was such a slap in the face of how dare you. And I said, and I think Mark at that point said, um, how would you know? And she said she's spoken to him. So everyone at that point said, well, wait a minute. Well, we need to speak to we him. We need to speak to him. He needs to talk. The difficulty for the police and you as well was that Renee's new phone had apparently gone over the cliff with her and you couldn't look at the final conversations there. But you started to get an inkling though, Mark, that Camilla and Braden were the same person. How did you do that? Well, it all started back here um, at, at the house because Camilla's behaviour was wasn't right. I mean, she said in one conversation at the house here that I, you know, Renee had indicated to Camilla that I was abusive to the kids. I can't imagine anyone less likely to be like that, Mark, knowing you. But, but no, one thing that really stuck out was she said Renee hated living here and mm -hmm. hated the kids. And I could tell you, Adam, you could talk to anybody and they, Renee idolised Luke, Jake and Monique the three of them, idolised them. There's no way in the world that was true. So we knew, well, well, this is not making sense. And then when Camilla turned around and said she had to talk to me about Renee's behaviour and how Renee was abusive towards her, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I thought, Renee wouldn't hurt anybody. There's no way in the world. She's not that type of person. So everything Renee told me about Camilla 
Camille was telling me about Renee. We were putting pressure on the police to find out, you know, who the hell this Braden was. And they had, to their credit, done a bit of work. He wasn't in Golden Prison, he wasn't here, he wasn't there. So we still hadn't located a Braden. But in the, uh, one of the things that were missing were those text messages on the day that Renee went missing. But what we did have was all uh, copies, uh, 20, 30, 40 pages of all the, not the content of the text messages, but the, the message, how long it went for, when it was sent, what day uh, it was sent, etc. So we did have that. And we did start to, I did start to plot that and go through them in a bit more detail than what the police were doing. And I did start to log the conversations that were that Camilla was having with um, Renee, and the text messages that Braden was having with Renee as well. And when we started to plot all that, it became pretty obvious to me that they're all in segments, Adam. Um, there was no intermittent conversation. You could see where Camilla would spend ten minutes texting Renee. Then she would stop texting Renee and about a minute or two later, Braden would start texting Renee. Then Braden would stop, Camilla would start up again or Camilla would start talking to somebody else, uh, her friends or whatever. So when you plot that onto a chart, it was pretty obvious that they're too polite. You can't just have Camilla talking to Renee, dropping the phone, and then next minute Braden starts talking to Renee. When you plot it on a chart, it become obvious that these segments with the same person. And I put that to the police and I think two or three days later they came back and said, Mark, you're right, uh, those uh, messages from Braden are coming from the same tower as the messages from Camilla to Renee. You must have been thinking at this point, okay, it's only a matter of time before Camilla gets pulled in, charged with something? Well, by that time, unfortunately, they'd done, uh, you know, had search warrants. They went to a house. They re- tried to re- retrieve a lot of it, but a lot of it had been deleted. And Braden's co- phone was never recovered? I think at some stage, Camilla, I don't know her exact story to police, but... Uh, no, she, she what she said with Braden's phone is that Renee wanted to communicate with Braden and she wanted Camilla to set the phone up. So Camilla did. And that's why the phone was always in her name. When put to the police, um, they said there's no charges that uh, they could find to pin on her. Because there's no money changed hands. It's only catfishing when someone's seeking to gain a financial advantage out of the situation. Renee used to buy him gifts and obviously she had them all given to Camilla. And Camilla would give him to his lawyer so they can, um, the lawyer would hand him over to him. The same as Renee paying his mobile phone bill every month. You know, I, I just don't understand how everything that Camilla did, she's gone away with. Yeah, and you can see the depth of the deception. I've met you guys a few times now and you welcome me into your home and I really appreciate that. But when I talk to you, you still seem to regard Braden as if he's a real person. The, the depth of the deception was so terrible. It's well, hard. It's, it's hard not to. But it, but it wasn't us. Just us, Adam. It was everybody. Mm. You know, we'd have friends come over. Oh, Renee, how's Braden? Like, he's that real that it wasn't just. See, this wasn't catfishing. Just Camilla, Braden, and Renee. This was catfishing with the uh, half the community involved. Exactly. We were all catfish. I mean, this this is on oh, a grand I, scale, right? It sure is. And at the end of all this, Mark and Teresa. The police have not prosecuted her. She demonstrably lied to the coroner. 
She's not been charged with perjury. Nothing has happened. Does this really shake your faith in the, in the justice system? It's, it, it beggars belief. Is about the only two words I can string together that, that weigh it all up, Adam. I mean, how can anybody assume a false identity, create a fictional character, control, manipulate, deceive, mentally abuse into the oblivion, right, navigate their way through the entire bloody criminal, you know, courts and coronial inquests and come out as if nothing's happened. What I really admire about you is that you're not just going away with your private grief. You're now seeking to help other families who may find themselves in this position. And I think that's a great expression of your love for Rene. So what do you hope to achieve by the public campaign that you're still working on? I... From the bottom of my heart, Adam, I do not want this to happen to another family. It has and it continues to eat away at my kids. I mean, we're still, you know, we do still do counselling. There is still, the pain still runs deep. We still don't have Renee at the end of the day. We don't know where her body is. There's no resting place. There's no closure. So if I could stop that pain going on to another family, I think then we've achieved something, haven't we? Well, the act of catfishing needs to be outlawed. It needs to be criminalised. Well, that's right. And you've been dealing with the New South Wales Attorney General on this matter. What's happened so far? Well, they're looking um, at coercive control, tightening coercive control laws or domestic violence laws, Adam. But... Like a lot of lawyers and a lot of people say, that's not going far enough. The coroner stopped short of saying, yeah, by all means, look at that, and by all means, tighten the domestic violence, but that's one-on-one relationships. That's me abusing uh, my wife, and, you know, that's transparent, that's physical, that's one-on-one abuse. What we're talking about is totally different. It's creating a fictional character to do the same thing. That, to us, is absurd, that you're able to be whoever you want, Adam. You you can be whoever you want in this world. You don't have to be yourself. You can be anybody. Online, you can abuse them, you can coerce them, you can control them, you can deceive them, manipulate them. You can do any bloody thing you want, Adam. As long as you don't ask for a dollar, apparently. Correct. If I can just continue on that... The only derivatives of catfishing that are illegal are fraud, which you've just mentioned, uh, stalking and um, pedophilia. Everything else, Adam, is all fair game. Once starting this petition, I've had a lot of um, mainly women send me personal messages saying, you know, they're happy that I'm fighting for a change because they've been catfished themselves. And these are women, I'm not talking about young girls, these are women that are quite educated and they run their own businesses and they've had this stuff happen to them too, Adam. It's everybody. It affects everybody. So it's really time the law caught up with the technology in this case and the and the deviousness. See, my real fear, Mark and Theresa Marston, is that we've talked about this story, we've shown in detail how it's done, that somebody else could do exactly the same thing and there'll be no sanction. So I feel very unhappy with that scenario where we've shown people how to... to catfish somebody, but there's still no penalty. That's right. As long as you've hit the nail on the head, Adam, as long as you don't take a dollar, 
or stalk them, then you've got a green light to, to do anything you want, as far as I can see anyway. So, listen, um, thank you so much for sharing this very, very difficult story with us, but what's the memory of Renee that you will carry with you that sort of sustains you through the pain that must be just unending? All the laughs we used to get from her, Adam. She was very quirky, very bubbly, effervescent, a wonderful personality, and whenever she came into the room, she lit it up. And there were so many funny things, um, whether it was her dancing with Monique when, uh, when Monique was only about three or four to the, you know, the MTV, whether it was impersonating our bird, all these sort of things, her conversations with our dog that were just amazing to listen to, all those sort of things we never forget. Yeah, and Teresa, how are you going now? I mean, it, it, it doesn't get easier, but how are you going? I have my days, Adam. Mm. You know, I have my moments. I hide it from the kids because I've got to be strong for them. And I want them to know that I am fighting for some sort of change and justice in what's happened to their sister because they don't understand, you know. Well, they don't understand our laws. You lose faith Mm. in the justice system. What you don't get is any of the politicians or anyone who's in power to to do something about this to contact you and at least listen to what you've got to say and attempt to do something about it. From what I can see, we've, we've had a lot of contact from the media, a lot of contact, family and friends, but nobody in the political world has really made an effort to talk to us and act on it, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so now it's people power come to the fore. You've got a petition. Uh, what does it say and where can people find it? So it's on change.org or we've got a Facebook page that we've set up because a lot of people are interested in this journey, in Renee's story, and they want to see a change. So besides a lot of personal messages, we set up the Facebook page. So it's Renee's Law. Even if you Google search it, Adam, and if, if you just type in Renee Marsden petition, it will come up. I'll put a link on the um, link to this story. So, um, listen, Mark and Teresa Marsden, thank you so much. You're two of the bravest people, the most compassionate and loving people I know. So thank you once again for your time. Thanks very much. Thanks, Adam. You can find out more about the Marsden family's fight for justice on Facebook. Search Renee's Law or sign the petition at change.org. Details are in the episode notes. If this episode has raised issues for you, please contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 or Lifeline 13 11 14. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more of my work, just search Real Crime or New South Wales Police State Crime Command Investigations. Executive producer, Grant Tothill. Original music and mixing by Matt Nikolic. Associate producer, Matt Wire. Research by Nolly Shand. Digital producers, Jack Shand and Oscar Gordon. Written and produced by Adam Shand. Listener.